you are Locked On Jaguars, your daily Jacksonville Jaguars podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to another episode of Locked On Jaguars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Zach Goodall. Make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my absent co-host, Chris Thornton. You can find him at Misto Christopho. He is on a trip away up in the D.C. area, having some fun, not caring about podcasting. It's cool, though. We got all the content here for you as the NFL Combine is getting underway. Today was the first day. It was a media day for a lot of coaches and GMs. Some offensive linemen got their measurements in, stuff like that. So that means Demetrius Harvey, a writer for us, will start doing a offensive line project he's been waiting to do for this day. Um, he wants to collect their measurements put together thresholds for the Jaguars, see what they typically like, and then go from there with scouting reports. So make sure to stay tuned for that. It's going to be great. I think Demetrius is going to knock this one out of the park. Um, Then we're going to go ahead and get into what the news was, and then after that, a little bit of talking about, you know, what exactly this news means. Nick Foles, obviously, the Eagles not franchise tagging him. Marcel Darius, Jalen Ramsey, all in the news today. And after that, we're going to be doing... Probably two segments of answering your questions from Twitter because I got a good amount of them. Uh, One of them I actually might even dedicate into its own segment and the rest just turn into a question and answer. So we'll see just, you know, how that goes. Got them all lined up and ready to go. But we'll start with the news from today. The first was that Marcel Darius agreed to a contract restructure with the Jaguars. And that's news that we've been predicting here for a nice long while. It was reported by Field Yates of ESPN that Darius cleared $5 million in cap space by doing this restructure with the Jaguars, in which case his base salary for the 2019 season is $2.835 million. That is down from what was going to be $8.335 million with a $2 million roster bonus. Uh, This conversion knocked a year off of his deal as well, but he gets a $5 million bonus up front. Uh, rather because he had no guarantees on his deal for this year. So it benefits both sides. It gives the Jaguars an extra $5 million in cap space, and that gets them in the green officially. They were still projected to have negative cap space at that point. They are now in the positives. It is somewhere in the $3.7 or $6 million range. I did the math this morning. I don't have it in front of me, but they are in the clear. We are expecting a lot more moves because they have to have more than $3 million. Uh, They have to allocate money to rookie contracts, in-season stuff, and if they want to be able to sign people. Now, Dave Caldwell in his press conference today said that the Jaguars can be aggressive in free agency if they so choose. That would require some moves to happen. I'm taking that as he wants to make some moves, whether it's going after Nick Foles or another player. He wants to, in which case I'm still projecting all the moves we projected in the cap space podcast to happen, or at least a good amount of them to get this team comfortably in the green with cap space for the 2019 season. And then Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell went to the press uh, conference tables at the NFL combine confirmed that Jalen Ramsey had his fifth year option picked up. Not much of a surprise. I personally thought they could extend him this off season. Looks like they'll be waiting another year just because in 2018, 20, there's going to be even more cap space available with some contracts expiring. I believe as of now, they're projected to be around 30 to 35 million in 2020 before any contracts hit the books this year. And if they decide to clear up some before this upcoming offseason, then that will have them even higher for next year. So gives them a lot of comfort in the future. 
um, to not allocate much money to Ramsey right now and rather, you know, when that time comes, that time comes. And then Marone and Caldwell both talked about quarterbacks. They said, yes, Blake Bortles is still the quarterback for this team right now. Not too much of a shock because they haven't released him yet. So, of course, they're going to stick with saying he's with the team right now. That's that's just what's happening. I expect that move to come sooner rather than later where they release him and designate it as a post-June 1st cut. But as of now, they say that they he's here. Uh, Doug Marone talked about the quarterback position a good bit, saying you know that he wants his quarterback to be ahead of the curve of everyone on offense and be the smartest guy in the room. Wants them to be, you know, just as mentally prepared as possible. We know that John DeFilippo, the offensive coordinator, does that as well. He gives out 50-page exams on the opponent to his quarterbacks every week during the season. So they seem to be on the same page there. The guy that in the draft, I think, totally fits that profile is Dwayne Haskins. We've talked about that before, and we'll talk about that again. He's just so polished mentally that I think it becomes an immediate fit with what Marone and DeFilippo seem to want. Caldwell did not want to speak much on the quarterbacks. Uh, he was just talking about positions in general, so didn't get as much out of him as I thought we got out of Marone. But what we did get out of today's press conference interviews, not necessarily from the Jaguars, but you got to sprinkle the Jags in with this a bit, is that Nick Foles will not be franchise tagged by the Eagles. They will not be trying to tag and trade him, despite the speculation that that's something they were considering. You have to assume they thought about it and were calling teams to see what the offers would be, and it wasn't anything that they really seemed to want, in which case they said, you know what, we don't want to be on the books for $25 million for a backup quarterback next year when Carson Wentz comes back and healthy. So, Nick, thanks for all you've done. Go cash in somewhere, and we wish you the best. And naturally, everyone points to Jacksonville as the favorite to land Foles. That's, you know, that's great. Like, do that if you want. There's a connection there. But I think it's all dot connecting at this point. Could they and will they pursue him? Yes, maybe. I I think that they'll definitely call and see what his price is. But I don't expect him to take some huge discount. I think his minimum is going to be around $17 to $18 million a year. And the Jags can afford that if they would like to. They can can do that with some of the moves that they can make. And I, I wouldn't be against it. I just still would rather to have the quarterback with more upside on a rookie deal and spend that money on a weapon for that quarterback like Le'Veon Bell or other weapons that are out there to fix this offense rather than spend it on a guy who's had a really up and down career, who shined in Philadelphia and nowhere else. And even in Philadelphia, he's had some real inconsistencies, but I would understand it. I just wouldn't guarantee it like, you know, reports from NFL Network, from ESPN and from just about anyone is out here saying, Jacksonville's got to be the favorite. Well, there's no sources being reported on that. They're not saying per source. They're not saying this is a report. They're just speculating based on the connection to DeFilippo and the need at quarterback for Jacksonville. And probably the lack of market that Foles has. He probably only has a couple team market because not a ton of teams are in a position where they can or will spend a bunch of money on a quarterback. I think Washington and Miami are probably the competition with Jacksonville. And I just don't know if the Jags are willing to get into a bidding war at this point. If they like the price of Foles and they're the only team in the market, then I think it makes sense and I think it's something that could happen. But I'm not banking on either of those things being the reality in the situation. But we'll just have to see. When we come back, we are going to get into our Q&A from Twitter, questions from the past 24 hours from listeners. The first one is going to be... You know, I mean, we'll see how long the segment goes. If it's long enough, it'll just be one segment on this one question. Um, if it goes short enough, we'll add a couple more. But it regards a guy that a lot of Jags fans have forgotten about, and that's wide receiver Marquise Lee. We'll be back after these messages. 
All right. So the first question that we had from the, you know, me asking for Twitter questions to fill airtime on this episode with Chris being gone. I uh, can't really drag it out like we do sometimes. Comes from Johnny Two Barrels. And he said, hear a lot of talk of guys getting cut or restructured. One name I haven't heard anything about is Marquise Lee. Chances we move on, and if not, what's the injury looking like? So reports have come out recently that he feels comfortable. He's a bit ahead of schedule uh, with his knee rehab. And he has become a forgotten guy because he didn't play last year. He's a guy that the Jaguars did resign just a couple months before his injury. So... Obviously, really unfortunate they had plans with him. And I completely assume that he'll be back because he didn't get a chance to even play on his new deal that came with guarantees, paid him about 8 or $9 million a year. So not necessarily a cheap deal, not too expensive, but not cheap either. So I think they're going to want to see where he's at, bring him back at least for a year and go from there. I also think D.D. Westbrook has filled his role really well, being able to play all three receiver spots and play as that possession guy that Lee was in 2017 and really played well at. I think Westbrook did an even better job at the position with a quarterback who played a lot worse than what Lee had that year. So it's hard to really peg Lee for like a role in the offense because I think he's had his role kind of taken from him, and he might move down the depth chart a bit. But that is something we need to remember when they're when we want the Jaguars to go ahead and you know pick a new receiver this year because there's a lot of talk of they should draft a receiver probably in the you know day two day three range, and the Jaguars have so many possession style receivers on the roster and if they weren't a possession style receiver the Jaguars tried to mold them into one. Lee wasn't really regarded as that coming out of USC. Dede Westbrook certainly was not regarded as that coming out of Oklahoma. They were both kind of viewed as speedy downfield guys that could make big plays. DJ Chark was viewed as a guy who could win contested catches and also as a deep threat to take the um, top off of defenses with their speed and play deep. Keelan Cole, as an undrafted free agent in training camp, the only ball he caught that year throughout training camp of the preseason was a go route. So he certainly wasn't making plays underneath. Dante Moncrief, Red zone target. So not as much a possession guy as more of a guy to win contested battles in the red zone. None of these guys were labeled as possession guys when you would scout them originally. But the Jaguars did their best to try and mold each and every one of them into being exactly that. A guy that can win in the short to intermediate middle of the field on crossing routes, on slants, on uh, curls, outs, flats, digs, all these type of short to intermediate routes near uh, the line to gain, maybe a little bit more, but not too much, and create something after the catch. And I don't think they're going to shy away from that because that's just what they like to do. They like to power run and nick and dime their way down the field rather than all these explosion plays. They want to sprinkle some in for sure, but I think they really like that all of these guys are turning into possession guys, in which case, you know, if they're going to draft someone, Maybe they'll try and do the same thing with that guy. Maybe they will try and get some someone that's a little bit different, but they're still going to try and mold him into that. So Marquise Lee isn't in a position where he can really separate himself that well because the only thing he seemed to really do well in Jacksonville was turn into a possession guy. But now he's got a bunch of guys that are competing with him with you know really nice skill sets and have all really molded themselves into that uh, type of receiver at this point. So 
We're just going to have to see. I do believe he'll be back. I just believe that he's going to be sliding down the depth chart a little bit and won't be as important as we originally thought he was going to be after he signed that extension. But I think that's a great question. I think that people have kind of forgotten about him. I'll be honest, I have a bit too. It's just because he didn't play for a year. We forgot about Allen Robinson uh, from the second he tore his ACL until about a month before free agency started. We just didn't think about what was going to happen with him, and that's the same thing that seems to have happened with Lee. When we come back, I'm going to be taking the rest of your Twitter questions. Great one. Took about five minutes for me to answer right there. The rest of them I'll try and cut down a little bit, but i got a lot of great questions for you coming up. So let's go ahead and get to the rest of the Twitter questions that I've collected over the past 24 hours. Like I said, this kind of drags out what... What it's like to have a co-host is that you can drag things out a bit more and fill more airtime, but when you're speaking by yourself, it gets a lot harder. So I figured you guys could help me out here and be my co-hosts in and of itself. So thank you, Twitter. Let's go ahead and get to it. Um, from Mitchell Preston, he says, Honestly, all the questions I have for you are pretty much answered by your Twitter, but maybe give us a rundown on TJ Hawkinson. So... Hawkinson, from my viewing, and I haven't seen a ton of him. I've watched a little bit, but I plan on diving into all the other positions after the combine's done. Uh, he's a guy that's, you know, he's a really safe pick. Uh, a guy that can play two ways as a tight end, both as a blocker and a pass catcher. You probably like to have him in line or as a big slot, not as much outside. You could probably move him around as kind of an H-back style guy, which is something that really fits what John Filippo wants in his tight ends. I mean, you saw that with Trey Burton. You see that flexibility with Zach Ertz. You see it with Dallas Goddard. Like, just the, the style of tight end they have is truly a dynamic two-way player. And they, Jaguars love blocking tight ends. Like, that's... they. I think they... I would almost bet that they value blocking out of their tight ends more than pass catching, which is a bit ridiculous, but that's just what recent history has suggested. Maybe that tone has changed a little bit. But Hawkinson can do both. He can do both at an extremely you know, high level. If they were to go after Nick Foles and sign him rather than draft a quarterback, I would much rather them go Hawkinson at seven or an offensive lineman than also drafting a quarterback. I just think that it'd be a waste of assets to do both Foles and a rookie QB at seventh overall with the other needs they have pairing with a defense that is ready to win. Now you don't know how much longer you're going to be able to hold such a great defense like that. So I truly think it's best to go one way or another, in which case add a safe, truly two dynamic two way tight end to pair with what Nick Foles was really successful with in Philadelphia. And you might be cooking that, that, that would make a ton of sense if they went after Foles and I do think that he's a bit of a universal scheme fit being Hawkinson. So he should have no issue coming in and doing whatever the Jaguars would ask of him. From Javal, my buddy. Let's say Lindstrom, Reisner, Hawkinson, and Fant are all gone by round one and we get Haskins. Offensive lineman like Eric McCoy or a playmaker? I still will have to watch a bit more McCoy. I've seen some limited stuff on him, but like I said before, a lot of the other positions I'm going to dive in more later. I have watched... <laughs> All of those guys that you just said, other than, like I said, a little bit of Hawkinson. I've seen some more of Fant because I studied him before Hawkinson really broke out. Um, but Lindstrom and Reisner are guys that I've paid a lot of attention to and I really like. I hold the thought that if the Jaguars hold on to all their picks and get Haskins in the first round, 
regardless of what they do in free agency, if they sign a weapon, if they don't, I want them to go offensive line at 38 because the right side is going to be a question mark. Like if they get rid of Parnell or if they keep him, he's not getting any younger. He has an injury history and you don't know what you have in Will Richardson, but I would like to think that Richardson should be solid. I do think that he redshirted last year. I think they have a plan with him, but regardless, you don't really know what you have there. AJ can has been just really not any good. They're going to probably want to replace him this off season as he's going to be a free agent. So I do think round two is the sweet spot. And yes, you can get a guy in round three, round four, that probably fits really well in the interior. But that sweet spot right there, I think is just perfect to pair with a rookie quarterback to really seal up the interior, which quarterbacks are saying is, I forget, I read this today. I know it's a quote from the combine and I'm blanking on who said it. Um, It was Mike Mayock, the Raiders GM. He says of the quarterbacks he's talked to over the past couple years, all of them have come back and said like they feel the most pressure coming from the interior. So with a rookie quarterback, I think that I would want them to be sure that that interior is really fixed up and that it's a priority, in which case I go offensive line over a playmaker there. Now, say Lindstrom and Reisner, who I think are both great fits at right guard for this Jaguars team, are gone, and someone like DK Metcalf fell to 38, which I don't think is going to happen whatsoever. But like the board falls like that to where you're just shocked that there's a playmaker there. Or Hawkinson or Fant are there at 38. Then sure, I consider it. And I might even consider it if someone like Metcalf or Hawkinson are there at 38 and those offensive linemen are there. But I don't think that's likely, in which case, you know, I go offensive linemen as long as the right fits there and the right values there. It just really depends on how the board falls, but I do prefer the idea of an offensive lineman over a weapon there, assuming the board falls the way that you know it's it's getting projected to fall right now. But that's just my two cents. From Manny Samedia, sorry if I pronounced your last name wrong, man. Uh, Kyler Murray might not be a Coughlin guy due to his physical traits, but he's a winner and he loves football. If the Jaguars do select Murray, what would they need to do to help him succeed? What could the offense look like with his strengths and weaknesses? So I think it would be a real project and a one that would pay off over time. I'm not discounting what Murray can do, but I think they'd have to change a lot. They can't run the power scheme, you know, power running and, you know, West Coast style of offense that they do. They need to add some flavor to it. They'd really have to start spreading guys out. They need to acquire some different talent up front, change into a bit of a zone scheme, in my opinion. Uh, Try and, you know, really spread out the weapons of the offense add more speed, add more dynamic guys on the outside, maybe some different running backs to try and get like, you know, a lot of different styles in there. And that's going to take time because of the what they have devoted to the offense that they've built right now and the money that they've devoted to the offense they have right now and all those assets to where I don't think they'd win immediately with Kyler Murray. It would have to give it, you know, a year or two at least to kind of repiece this offense into something that fits him. You try and build around him. You don't try and put him kind of square peg into a round hole, as I like to say. Because he's not some standard like, oh yeah, just throw him in there and he'll do well. He'll fit whatever you throw at him. He's got a specific style. But if they're willing to do that, if they're saying, hey, you know what? Like, We don't care if we win right now because everything fell off last year. We don't think we can repeat what we were able to do in 2017 and go beyond that. We'd rather just kind of rebuild this thing and start new then sure, Kyler makes a ton of sense. But I think Dwayne Haskins gives you the opportunity to win now and later. So I would rather go Haskins, but 
I would understand the vision if they did bring in Murray. He's a really exciting player that I did enjoy watching. From Brad Harvin, are there a couple uh, types of running backs that are appealing in the draft or free agency that you like and why? So there's a couple, and I think they're going to have to adjust the running backs. Uh, Dave Caldwell said that Carlos Hyde is in the Jaguars' plans for now. I don't know if that will hold true. I don't know if that was the exact quote because that sounds like you know kind of deceiving. Um, but something along those lines. I don't know if that's going to hold true or not because they could save a lot of money by cutting him. If he's not cut by the third day of the league year, he's guaranteed $2 million of his contract. And they'd only save, I think, $2.7 million by cutting him after that. So go ahead and get that, I think, four point seven five right now by cutting him and use that elsewhere. And then whether it's signed a guy like Latavius Murray – who you know is a bit of a mentor style. He's helped develop Dalvin Cook's game and played really well in a pinch, and it fits a power style offense. I think he'd be a really great add who probably won't be that expensive. Um, obviously, I've been pushing the Le'Veon Bell hype train, but I don't know how likely that is. Um, I would really enjoy it if they did that, but I mean, I don't need to go any more detail on that. I've done that plenty. Um, in the draft, I mean, there's uh, it's there's a ton of different guys. There's no Saquon Barkley this year, I don't think. I think Josh Jacobs is a fun bruiser style, but he's going to go a lot higher than the Jaguars. will probably want to draft a running back considering what they've put into Leonard Fournette in the past. But then you start looking at guys like Devin Singletary, slippery as can be, like slipperier than, slipperier than motor oil. They call him motor for a reason. Uh, and I totally messed up saying slipperier, but try saying that five times fast. But he's a dude that can just make anyone miss. He plays so much bigger than his size. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, although they didn't really have him do it much. They really, really ran him pretty hard at FAU. And if you take a look at his stats, I mean, they're incredible. He has 60-some rushing touchdowns in three years. Just the dude can literally make anyone miss. You just want to see what he can do in pass protection. I think he's got the effort but he just doesn't have the technique or size to truly win at an NFL level like that. And I'm sure the Jaguars are going to want someone that can do that as their number two back. That's what TJ Yeldon did really well, receiving with good vision and pass blocking. But I really like Singletary. I like Darrell Henderson. He's a dude that's got great top speed, and he can make guys miss. Um, he's around the same size in height as Singletary. I think he's 5'9", 5'10", but he just looks big. Like He looks like he can take a hit. Uh, I don't know how great he is really in terms of, you know, being able to move laterally. Um, there's going to, I'm going to want to see some drills out of him and stuff like that, but he'd be a really fun complimentary piece. You want to see if he can come in here and pass block as well. That's going to be really important. Uh, I think James Williams is a guy who's going to be a later round pick. He's smaller. He's 5'11", 195, really used as a receiver more than a runner at Washington State in that spread offense, but did he do it well? I'll tell you that. Some people have even talked of the idea of maybe having him come in as a hybrid running back receiver role like Duke Johnson in Cleveland. Dude can catch out of the backfield. For his size, the dude can block, and he puts in a ton of effort. Really hard to bring down. Top speed isn't great, but he, like I said, like he kind of fits those check marks. You want to see if he's lengthy enough because the Jaguars do like length. Um, TJ Eldon and Leonard Fournette were in at least the 65th or better percentile in height and arm length. Uh, when they were drafted compared to NFL running back. So they're going to look for guys like that. But I know that Williams stands at about 5'11", maybe 5'10". But if he's got long arms, I bet he's a guy that will show up on the Jaguars' radar later on in the draft because he's probably a day three guy at this point because 
he just doesn't I mean he he's fun to watch as a runner but he's not a truly polished running back in comparison to some of the guys closer to the top from Cody Hutchinson who are some under the radar guys to watch at the combine who do you expect to steal the show so I'll be honest with you I don't watch the combine for the idea of who's better than this guy at this drill because that is where to me the combine gets kind of useless like it's great to watch these guys like break records running the 40 yard dash and it's entertaining I get that but like I don't look at it to oh he runs a three cone better than that guy I look at it as hey he runs this three cone and that's a threshold that I like or hey he measured in at this arm length and that's what I like and it's it almost becomes like confirmation bias in in a good way like I look at film and I'm only thinking this because this is one of the first things that pops into my mind. Cornerback Amani Oruari, if I pronounce that right, out of Penn State. He looks lengthy, but there's been questions as to what his actual length is in terms of height plus arm length. And at the Senior Bowl, if I recall correctly, he didn't measure in as lengthy as everyone thought he was going to do. So you go in with the idea of what you see of these guys on film and then you watch to see if that's actually how it pans out because that's where I do believe the mix of watching film and analytics can really match up so you can kind of get an idea as to what you really like out of a guy or if he fits what the team you cover or the team you work for wants out of a player. I think they have a good idea as to what they want out of their running backs in terms of length. Same thing at cornerback. Uh, same thing with size on the offensive line. Um so you kind of look for those thresholds and you look for what guys do in terms of those drills or their measurements. And if they fit that, then you start to peg them more so than guys that don't. So sorry if that's not really a great answer to what you're asking, Cody. Um, I just don't watch it for as much of the competition or like who I think is going to blow me away at certain things more. I go in with an idea of what I want to see out of certain positions and I go from there. And like I said at the start of the show, Demetrius is going to be doing something specifically on this stuff with offensive linemen. That's something that you guys are going to want to check out on LockedOnJaguars.com when that gets rolling. Uh, from Jared G, how do you see the Jaguars going about the trouble at receiver and what moves could you see them making in that area? So like I said with Marquise Lee, don't count him out. I do think he'll be back. And how they like to turn these guys into possession guys. And they very well might do that with whoever they bring in next. But... I would want them to add a guy with a catch radius. Even if their plan is to make him someone that can win in the middle of the field like just about every other receiver, what they're trying to do with all the other receivers on their roster. So, great. If you want to do that, that's fine. But if you've got that God-given ability to just like absolutely outmaneuver defenders left and right and just make these incredible grabs like a Hakeem Butler, a Kelvin Harmon, a Demarcus Lodge with insane length that shows up on film. Like that's what I would like out of whatever receiver they take. I don't care what they do with him at that point and how they try to mold his game, whether they turn him into a possession guy, whether they let him win at the boundary, like what Dante Moncrief did as a prospect where he was just, you know, one-on-one, like you weren't beating him or whether they let him be a deep threat and go vertical Whatever they do with that guy, as long as he's got a legit catch radius and can come down making these contested plays where the quarterback can look at him like Blake did with Allen Robinson in 2015 and say, like, listen, I could throw this off target and I know you're coming down with it. Then that's really all I would want them to do. And I think that they can do that on day two with some of the guys I mentioned. I think they're all going to be day two prospects. I think Lodge, because he gets a little overshadowed because he didn't have the greatest production, but did he show it on he showed off on film what he's able to do. 
um, out of Ole Miss, he was in a crowded receiver room with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. If he slides into the third round with one of their third round picks, I say you absolutely look at trying to add him to this receiver room. Next up, from onto the Jags' next quarterback disappointment. Uh, what's the plan at tight ends? All rookies? So they did not. The Jaguars did not rule out the idea of bringing back Austin Safarian Jenkins today. Uh, at, in their interviews, Dave Caldwell said that if they're willing to, if they could find a new a new way to bring ADSJ back rather than on that option, they could do it. Um, I think O'Shaughnessy will resign. Ben Koyak is still going to be under contract next year. Um, so that's two right there. Um, as long as O'Shaughnessy does resign, I think that they will try and bring him back on a cheap deal because he is serviceable and dependable and they just don't have the bodies to let guys walk left and right. But I do think they'll draft at least one guy and I wouldn't be shocked if they drafted two or used a priority undrafted free agent spot to sign one like right after the draft because of how deep this class goes. Like you could probably find a guy to put on your 53 man roster at tight end as an undrafted free agent this year. That's how deep this class is that you just can't not, not all of them can be drafted. That's, that's how crazy it is at this point. It's one of the best tight end classes ever, if not the best one ever. So I think it'll be a mix. Maybe they'll try and sign a guy like Jesse James. There's reported interest there, but we'll just have to see. I mean, that's so far away. Um, the free agency's in a couple of weeks. We'll have to see what they do with that before we conclude on exactly what they're going to do with that position in the draft. But there's definitely guys that I think they I think they will draft at least one guy and get some new blood in there and perhaps even more. From Marcus Parsley, if the Jaguars tar- target quarterback, offensive line, and tight end ahead of receiver, who are some mid to late round guys uh, to watch out for? Will Jacoby Myers be there in the late third? So Jacoby Mar- Myers out of NC State, if I recall correctly, Met with the Jaguars at the Senior Bowl. He's a guy that was, he looked pretty twitchy out there. He was making some nice adjusted catches. Um, He does come off as more of the possession style um, than some of these guys that can play vertical or contested. Um, But he's a guy that I think fits what they would want to do. Another guy I really like is Terry McLaurin. He probably put himself into day two consideration after the Senior Bowl. He was winning matchups left and right. Uh, Great route running, great speed to win as a deep threat. I don't think he's got the best catch radius, but he can make some really nice grabs at the same time. So if they're not prioritizing receiver like a lot of fans want them to, and somehow he falls into day three, you scoop him up with your fourth round pick because that's only a couple picks into day three. You make that happen because I think that he could provide a lot of really nice value. But I th- I truly think the sweet spot is going to be round two, round three with one of those guys that's got the insane catch radiuses. And that should just about do it here at Locked on Jaguars. That last segment went a little longer than I thought, but hopefully I got all your questions asked. Uh, Tune in with us later this week. Uh, I don't know exactly what we're going to do for our Thursday episode, but Friday is the return of Philip Friday, so we'll see you guys then.